0: Welcome to The Aggregate, hosted by Kinetic Ventures. This is a project based on the learnings from Startup DNA and the founder's journey. On today's episode, we talk with Alex Burkhardt as he shares his journey and learnings. And one thing that perked my ears up was he says his acquisition was the hardest part of it all. Good morning. I'd like to welcome Alex Burkhart. Alex, uh, thanks for joining us this morning on Kinetic's um, first ever podcast series
1: where we talk to founders uh, and have some real talk about um, their journeys. No problem. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah. So,
0: um, you know, I, I kind of talked to you a bit briefly offline. I just want to like let it, let it rip and just have some authentic talk about you know, I don't know what it's been, 10 years maybe that, that we've known each other, but I'll let you start and why don't you kind of maybe take us back to, you know, what were you doing, um,
1: you know, nine, 10 years ago and, and talk about um when we first met each other. Sounds good. Yeah, I almost can think it's it's probably almost eight years to the date. I'm not exactly sure our first interaction, I know at least one of our early ones, but yeah, regardless, uh, I was you know eight nine years ago uh, working at Macy's corporate offices here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, not from Cincinnati, but came here to go to Xavier University. And and after school, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but wasn't quite ready yet. Came from a family of entrepreneurs, and they said, "Hey, why don't you go work for one of the big companies in town, learn a little bit more about yourself, and and sharpen up your your skill set, and then see what happens." And so that's what I did. Uh, had a cool job at Macy's, got to travel the country, went to almost every part of the country you could think of at the age of you know twenty two, twenty three years old. Went to Hawaii, Seattle, Miami, New York City, you name it. But while I was doing that, I just had this void of I was meant to be an entrepreneur, and it wasn't until I started to kind of uh, talk to people in the ecosystem, not only in Cincinnati but also beyond. And so I spoke with a a mutual friend in Seattle during one of my trips for Macy's and he told me about something called startup weekend. And I was like, okay, sounds like a cool weekend where you can come up with an idea and see what happens. So I went to that startup weekend uh, back in Cincinnati. And from there, my, my life kind of changed uh, at a blink of an eye because we won the competition. Things continued to morph from there. I met people like yourself and other people in the Cincinnati ecosystem and realized hey, there's actually a lot going here. It's not actually happening just in Seattle, New York, San Francisco. There's, there's an ecosystem developing beneath my eyes. And I didn't really realize it when I was sitting at my ivory towers at, at Macy's corporate offices in town. And, and I'm glad that whatever catapulted all of that to, to come together, if, if it wouldn't have happened, I probably would still be you know working at Macy's or Procter & Gamble or another corporate office because I, I never got out of my shell to really put myself out there, present an idea and, and see what happens.
0: It's hard for me, you know, honestly, just like listening to you. to you, today when I when I if somebody was to say the the flying term serial entrepreneur, knowing what I know about the rest of the story, you're the you're the vision that that comes the face that that comes to my mind and so I sort of even forget that you worked at Macy's. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it seems like no, no way. Uh you know, I'm curious and and I do want to hear like what was next, but are you the same person like that, that I know today when you were working at Macy's? I mean, did you behave in the
1: same way? And the more I think about it, I, I I definitely way different now. My perspective is completely different, but there's very much a similar piece to me. You know, you know, this really well, you've coined me as the accelerator in your, your Wendell startup DNA assessment that you created underneath Kinetic. I was an accelerator when I was at Macy's. Uh, I was the first promoted in my class uh, from about 15 students that came from a bunch of universities across the the country. And and I just... I I did things fast, moved fast, put myself out there, networked. And then ultimately, what I realized was, oh, great, I got a 5%, 10% pay bump for all that hard work. And not that that wasn't motivating... It was just like, what does my future look like? My future looks like I go from this position to this position to this position to this position. And by the time I'm you know, 40 years old, yeah, I, I have a, a great career and well-balanced lifestyle, but that's not really who, who I grew up being and who I wanted to be. I liked ambiguity. I liked the opportunity that the, the world could be my oyster if I put the work in. And so ultimately... I definitely have changed. My perspective has absolutely changed. You know, when I first found out about Startup World at Macy's, I was kind of an idiot, right? And I didn't realize how hard it was to actually build a business from scratch. You see and hear stories that it goes from zero to a billion dollar company. And, you know, too many people watch the social network and that, that creates a, a false facade of of what 99% of the opportunities in the entrepreneurial game are like. So ultimately, again, to answer your question, definitely a different perspective, but I think still the, the same person that uh grew up always wanting to to move fast, challenge the status quo, and and and, and shock the world in different ways.
0: So I definitely want to talk about. Um, you've already accelerated to to the to the current state where you and I riff on behavioral profiles, but before we get to that and accelerate too quick, so I I love, obviously. Uh, I love your first company. I I think the concept was super interesting and and how that whole thing unfolded. But why don't you tell us about what that was?
1: Yeah. So essentially, uh, the company was called Tixers. It was a digital ticket website, similar to StubHub, but the differentiation of the company was that instead of selling your tickets, you could trade your tickets. So that actually goes back to to where I know we 100% first met or at least the second, third time was... You caught wind of the company and you had University of Kentucky basketball tickets. And obviously, you were giving them away to clients, selling them at times, leveraging them in a unique way that created value for yourself in a business relationship or a friendship standpoint. And I wanted to really take what you were doing within your small circles and open up that at scale. So essentially, what you could do is you could trade them in instantly and get a credit from me uh, based upon the demand of the event that my algorithm stated... And then you could use those credits for any other event nationwide. So say you wanted to rack up some credits and wait to go to the final four to see UK. And I I believe back during those times, UK had several uh, deep runs into the tournament. Or you could just go to another UK game. Or you could go to a concert in Nashville. Or say you wanted to go to a Cincinnati Reds game. Uh, Really, we were doing almost any kind of event that you could think of in the sports and concert space. And while we were doing that, right, I mean, that was our differentiator. No one else was really doing that unique trading of the tickets model. Uh, alongside that though, it continued to build relationships and partnerships and especially in Cincinnati, where I was helping kind of broker some of this team's tickets at the at the Reds and the Bengals and, and UC and Xavier. And then specifically at Xavier, we we formed an official partnership where their season ticket holders had a really streamlined experience to be able to just trade their tickets in for any other Xavier game in the future. And that's where it really catapulted us to the next level, going from a B2C company, which was great. And a lot of people could find out about us. But to scale that would have taken millions and millions of marketing dollars. And as you know as well, and the, the term you've coined for me, scrappy, uh, I was I was being as scrappy as I could to get marketing out there, whether that was... Putting uh, Tixers cornhole boards at Ryan Geist, or having an intern sit front row at the Crosstown Shootout with a, a Tixers post book poster board, or getting on uh, 1530 with uh, Lance McAllister, or on the TV at the list, uh, or, or a Cincinnati.com article. Anything I could do to stay scrappy, continue to talk about my narrative and my story uh, was great, and it helped me scale within Cincinnati. But if I really wanted to scale beyond Cincinnati, my glide path was how do I partner with with either companies or more organizations that are at a higher scale from a from a sports standpoint. And so that's ultimately what led me uh, during all that, when I had raised capital from investors and continued to talk about my vision, it was I wanted to continue to, to go down that journey. And that's why we ultimately sold the company to a company that had many relationships in the space, from the Los Angeles Lakers, the Los Angeles Clippers, Toronto Raptors, Villanova basketball, Clemson Tigers and beyond. And that was my thesis of what the best direction was to scale the company. And as you know, part of the story, it it didn't scale beyond that uh, much longer.
0: Yeah, I mean, talk about I mean, I I remember all I mean, all that. I mean, you know, being a being a part of that and being a big part of your your seed round. And I mean, I remember phone calls that we would have, you know, back and forth when the conversation was kind of like, you know, you, you, you had really good traction and, and you were this, you know, locally in town, I felt like at the time you were one of these, one of the only startups that actually had um, tangible revenue traction and it was fast at, and at the same time it was kind of profitable and it was, well, are you going to raise a series a or you were going to, you were going to exit. I mean, do you remember when you and I—I I know you had conversations with others, but do you remember one of those conversations in particular?
1: The one at interviews?
0: Oh, I remember that one for sure. I wasn't going to go there, but we can. Now you called me one day, and the the exhaustion in your in your voice, and and just the stress over you—you you had choice. Not every founder had choice, and you—I wasn't experienced at all at that time, and I just remember like. You know, us going back and forth on, you know, well we can raise the A and this is what this looks like, or we can exit and this is what this looks like. And I just remember the anxiety. I, I was having some. I think you were having some. And I think a lot of founders like think about that as exciting stuff when it doesn't happen to you, but it was happening to us and it was all good. But I felt a lot of anxiety, to be honest.
1: Oh yeah, I mean to build. I mean I, I think I know that the actual conversation now, and it might have been a, a trickle effect after. Uh, kind of an event obviously everybody talks about oh it's all about raising money and 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 having traction and and that's where you want to get to well i always tell people it actually gets harder when you get to that level the stakes rise and the, the risk reward scenario just changes when you're haven't raised any capital from anybody and you're just through uh kind of a very early scrappy round of friends and family or or in my case, uh, if you recall, I was competing in wiffle ball tournaments for GCVA just to to try to win a thousand bucks here and there to put to put rent, uh, pay my rent for that month. You know, you really only have to answer yourself. But when you start putting yourself out there, it's like, can I do this? And I, I'll be honest, I did. I went through that. I was like, I, I mean, I believe in my company, but I also know that at times you you have to fake it till you make it. And and where's that where's that uh, dotted line where it's like, whoa, no, I mean, I need to be authentic here and say hey this is where i'm at this is where i think i can go and that's tough and i think to really go back to talk about the moment where i do recall probably calling you is we were a part two of of you know the tech journey right and it was was uptech mm-hmm. had all the resources that i needed and i remember it was actually kind of a, a really cold wintry uh evening where i was always the the first one in there and last one out, or maybe not always the first one in, but definitely the, the last one to leave. And and there was a big snowstorm in, in Cincinnati that year, and and we don't get a ton of snow. And all of a sudden, it's about 10, maybe 11 o'clock at night. And all of a sudden, the roof starts flooding. And there's literally water just streaming from the roof at Uptech, And I, I don't know who to call. I mean, obviously, there were people involved at the time, but it was late at night. So I just went around and got every empty garbage can I could find in the place. Uh, there was actually a trough at Uptech as well that used to be uh, in the early building there. I think it used to be for, for carrying uh, uh, pig rigments uh, from when they used to slaughter pigs in that uh, that building. And I was finding anything I can I could to make sure that the building wasn't flooding. And that was really a metaphor and symbolic to what was going on in my my life at that time, right? It's like, okay, I have I have put everything into this. Uh, I have quit a job and a corporate job that, you know, was was comfortable. I'm I'm a I think I broke up with my girlfriend at the time. Was a single guy. I had friends and family support me, but it was literally flooding in the building and it was flooding inside my mind of what am I doing? And and I remember laying on my back in a room in Uptech just saying, what am I doing? Like is this is this worth it? And and it was funny. I was like, good thing no one's walking in this room cuz I'm literally staring at the ceiling watching it flood. And I've got it under control, right? I think I've found all the holes in the building. But yeah, I mean, I, that probably prompted me the next day to call you and say, hey, I, I got options here, but my mind is flooded. I need some help.
0: Yeah, I, re- I do remember. I heard it in your voice. And and I remember saying, you know, Alex, you're, you know, either choice is a victory. And so, you know, we're supportive of you know of of what whatever you decided you know to do, and so you did decide to sell the company. Uh, and I always think this is, and I'll let you tell you know how much of this you want. But selling your company um, and then going to work for a larger startup, because um, that's really what it was. I mean, what what was what was that like?
1: In in, in terms of of going from. My company that I had owned as a startup to to in, incorporating that into a larger company.
0: Yeah, and just the whole experience. I mean, you know, like the relationship there. You know, during the acquisition, the the relationship and the company and 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 you know, culturally, you know, what was that like after the acquisition? Just the whole deal.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably the hardest part of it all. If I look back and continue to look at it, is like the other pieces weren't weren't that bad. And, th- and that was a fun ride that no matter what, I could control. I mean, I-, I knew that I had a small staff of people that I could support. And I was very transparent with what we had in the bank account. Uh, they-, they knew my philosophies and methodologies, which were to move fast. But also, I mean, again, we were pretty frugal in how we did things. I mean, even when we raised capital, we weren't going on big trips, uh, you know, across the, uh, the country. I mean, we were still doing what we could. But when we did, we, we stayed in cheapest motel in in Las Vegas for a conference together. Right. Uh, we, we, you know, tried to save every penny that we could, even though we had it. And so those systems and methodologies and and my kind of a hundred percent control of the culture, regardless of, of the fact that we raised capital. I mean, that was also why I went the route that I did. I wanted to continue to maintain as much control as possible. And when we got acquired, that all kind of changed. Right. Uh, Obviously, the it's also what I was promised. That I thought the company that acquired us was in a little bit better financial shape themselves, but I come to realize that they were they were still continuing continuously needing to raise capital. And, and why I was an attractive resource to them was the fact that we were uh, you know pretty close to a profitable company with our our lean staff, and you know we thought we could we could uh, centralize those resources. And when we did, we actually you know were a uh, a profitable line item for them, but we couldn't carry the whole weight and. And that was hard. I mean, I remember uh, I'd go down there to to Florida where their offices were uh, about once a quarter, and I'd kind of be like, "What's going on?" Right? We'd have different meetings, and I'd kind of get some of the story, but my instincts would continue to sprout up and just say, "Hey, this—we're not really like uh, at the Los Angeles Lakers and 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 making tons of money off the deal. We're uh, we're actually kind of losing on the deal, right? It's for a future forward path and." And I didn't necessarily understand that. And and where it really became crazy, I mean, and it's funny is, and I can share some of this, but not, you know, a ton. You know, I got all excited because we got the opportunity to get a, a suite at the New York Jets and and flip tickets for them, right? And so I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is what I've been waiting for. This was my hypothesis, right? If I'm doing this for the, the Bengals, Reds, uh, Xavier, and UC, can you imagine what I can do with uh, New York Jets and and other large Teams and I come to find out the Jets were probably one of the worst teams in the in the history of the league that year. And and I couldn't barely give the sweet tickets away. And and on top of that, I thought it was gonna be more of a marketing play. And then I ended up getting assessed on my, my line item PL and what they paid for them. And, and it ultimately led to a point that was worse for me than than better. And that's when I had to to strategically say, Hey, is this is this for me? Right? The the mental anxiety that I'm going through of and it's funny because I'm about three weeks into to actually a, having a real child. But but Tixers was my first child in a different form. And I know that sounds weird to even compare a business to a child. And now that I have one, it's it's obviously way different. But there are some similarities in the sense that every single waking hour of my day was was focused on doing something for that company or that business. And I saw a euphoric vision of of what that company could become. And then when you have somebody else that oversees your vision and your mission, it, it does something that I can almost not even explain. And then ultimately, when that time runs out and you've exhausted all angles, then, then there's no other choice to, to do what you fiduciary need to do. And that is to protect the original investors and the original team members that believed in your vision. And that was to, to walk away. And we walked away at the right time because we had to, to fulfill a, a time commitment based upon the, the structure of the deal. and we did that. Now did we leave some of the upside? Yeah, but if you want to continue in, in Google and search uh, in the New York Times, there's an article that tells about what happened you know post we left. And, and ultimately I look back and say we made the exact right decision at the right time. but when you were when I was there living in that moment, uh, I, it's sometimes hard to even go back and try to figure out what was going on in my mind. You think I was flooded before, uh, and the analogy that I used at UpTech, uh, it was, it was just a, it was Niagara Falls. I mean, it was just pouring on top of me every single day. And and once I was able to get away and breathe, uh, I found a little bit more happiness there for a bit.
0: So you did So basically two startups, um, you know, where you were uh, acquired by a series B type, you know, firm in your vertical aqua hire, they want you to stay on, you go through that. And so you leave at the right time. Uh, life is flooding. And so what did, did you do a third startup right after that?
1: No, no, I, I, I went and did ev- what everybody said was crazy. <laughs> they were right. Uh, but they didn't know what was going on in my brain. And I, I went and worked at uh, the largest corporation in town, Procter and Gamble. And, uh, everybody kind of had bets and said, you, you'd last three months. Uh, I lasted 18. They weren't too far off. Uh, but I'd go back and do it again because what, what I did strategically there is I said, Hey, I, I need to breathe. I need to learn again. I need to stay humble in my journey, right? Yeah. I might've got lucky here and done something that a lot of entrepreneurs fail at doing. And I still, it's still a failure in its own regards of what my ultimate vision it was of of, of building a company that rivaled StubHub, but I still chalk it up that it was a nice single, uh, under my belt at the age of 26 years old. And so the Procter and Gamble thing was, Hey, I need to have a company that I can trust. Right. And I just went through a, uh, an experience where I lost, uh, a sense of what I could trust in, in, in someone else compared to what I was doing before. And, and so that allowed me to buy a house, get married, and, and do the things around my life that were just needed for me to to kind of recharge, so to speak. And what was funny, though, is, is that probably was the worst time of my life from a career sp- perspective, not personal perspective of where I was really just lost, right? I was I was bored. Uh, it was great, but it, the speeds in which we were moving, the things that we were doing, yes, we, we we did some awesome things. I got to still sharpen some skills of mine. I helped Pampers, uh, a brand within P&G, launch a new uh, mobile rewards app for when you buy diapers, and kind of got to redo their whole ecosystem from a search and acquisition perspective. So, got to do a lot of things I wanted to do uh, with big marketing budgets at scale with Tixers, but I got to do it within a company uh, that has you know tons and tons of resources, and we were ultimately successful. I think that app uh, is still you know today in the in the app store, and it has over a million downloads. And we got you know hundreds of thousands right out the gate when I was on my honeymoon. And I, I remember all of it. And it was great. And I met a lot of really good people. And I now still consult for the company. And so, again, at the time, it was like, all right, what should I do? Uh, I was just trying to follow my gut. And my gut led me there for some reason. It might not have made sense at the short term. But as, as I look back on it now, it, it, it absolutely did what it needed to do. It was help me recharge for what was to come.
0: You know, honestly, I I was I was I was happy for you that you chose Procter and Gamble um, over, you know, I remember us discussing just some other options when you were going through your pick people's brain phase on on what was next. And um, I, I won't say what all the other options were, but there was a couple on that list. I was like, oh, God, Alex, please don't don't do that.
1: Uh, Um, I I mean, I remember that combo and you were, you were an advocate. And it's one of the reasons why I went where I went. You were like, Oh, I a hundred percent see it. Go do that. And I trusted your judgment. And some people were like, no, don't do that. And I'm glad I, I'm glad I I trusted your recommendation.
0: Well, you know, and I've had an opportunity, you know, since to, you know, meet some of your friends at at, uh, PNG and you've undoubtedly had, you know, an influence there. You know from an innovation standpoint and so that that worked out good but you you could only last 18 months and that this is when i really the new alex sort of came on the world where one startup was you know no longer good enough for you you now have this i mean i'm going to kind of fast forward to that silly miro board that you show me that your, your your activities are so wide you have to you you have to like scroll you know three pages but why don't you sort of lump it all together and tell us like all the things you kind of had your hands in and have your hands in since you left p
1: Yeah. And what's ironic is that Miro board I shared with you at the top of it is it's a company called Prospect Management Group. And if you abbreviate that, it's P-M-G, not p G. It's P-M-G. So it's kind of my uh, my funny, ironic. Uh, I call it Zuki. Uh, pun on, on what division I'm building. And essentially, I'm trying to build a holding company that has multiple innovative uh, units underneath it. And if you think about it, that's what P&G is. P&G is a holding company that has tons of brands uh, that are successful brands. And they've done everything from Pringles to Jif peanut butter to you know cleaning supplies. And And they started pretty broad over the years and were successful. And probably 10, 10-ish years ago, they said, hey, we are a little too broad. Now we got to continue to narrow and focus a bit more. And so in my case, I, I kind of went that similar direction. It was, hey, I have a set of principles, right, that oversee um, every other business that's going to come before or underneath of that management group. And some of those principles are, uh, you know, we like to have fun, right? And I'm not going to do things that I don't have passion and energy towards. And and it doesn't always have to be sports tickets. You know, I learned pretty fast that. Uh, you can go in and do something you think you have passion in, but that doesn't ultimately always mean fulfillment. It changes perspective. I, mean, I used to go to sporting events through Tixers and be like, oh, I I didn't want to go to a game anymore. My brain is just thinking about why those tickets are unused and those seats are sitting empty and, and how do I fix that? And I lost a part of what I was passionate about. And so as I was thinking about, you know, prospect management group, what do we go into? It was really all about finding the right opportunity at the right time. And, and I had sensed for a while, you know, what kind of trends are happening in the ecosystem? What's happening? And, and and what kind of businesses can I start? And what was funny is almost every business I wanted to start, there was one company that could disrupt that business. And that company was Amazon. And it was funny. I was like, wow. I mean, literally, Amazon is disrupting almost every category and industry you can think of. And ironically, or again, like I say, Zuki... I stumbled upon an opportunity that said, calling all entrepreneurs, we want you to be your own delivery service partner business. And a couple of people sent it to me in town and said, Hey, calling all entrepreneurs, going back to what you're saying, Brad, people see me as the serial entrepreneur. And I said, all right, I'll, uh, I'll sign up and I'll see what happens. And, you know, that was a year long process of interviews and conversations and, and, and kind of questioning is, is this where I should go? I mean, uh, Amazon delivery service business what it's saying online doesn't doesn't necessarily sound all that glamorous but I can continue to to kind of follow my internal compass and, and see what happened and ultimately I had an interview with them and got down all the way to the wire and and I knew that that interview it was up in Cleveland other uh, one of the it was a series of interviews similar to like the Macy's and Procter & Gamble experience you're you're in a room with people and you can see your competition and and I knew who the head honcho was, I think, in the room. And, and when he showed up on my final interview, I figured I had done something right. And he looks at me and goes, hey, I got one question for you. Um, what business are you in? He goes, because I, I look at it. You, you seem like a smart guy. Why do you want to get in this business? And he goes, and there's a famous line in the the scene of, or the movie, The Founder, where Ray Kroc stumbles upon a guy and the guy asks him what business he's in. And Ray Kroc thinks cheeseburger. And then it's the, you know, kind of famous line where the guy goes, no, you're not in the business of, of making cheeseburgers. You're in the business of real estate. So he was about to finish that quote for me. And I and I finished it for him and told him, you know, the answer to that quote. And then I said, but to answer your question about what business I'm in, I'm in the business of people. And whether it's a logistics business, whether it's a ticketing business, whether it is a consulting business, whether it is, uh, you know, a hardware business, or you name it, what's to come. All that matters to me is that I'm in the business of finding the right people at the right time and colliding with the right opportunity. And then beneath that, how do I stay true to my, my core values of what makes me move fast and, and solve problems? And, and that can be seen in my consulting company and how I help you, right? Uh, you came to me with a cool idea and, and something that's awesome that I obviously have now intertwined into all of my businesses. I can't run my Amazon delivery service business without a uh, proprietary platform that you built to, to vet and assess startups and startup founders. I, I, every one of my drivers has to take Wendell's startup DNA in order to uh, properly onboard to my company so I can can better understand my people and understand them at scale. I can't work with a client in my consulting business, right? Whether it's Procter & Gamble or anybody beyond without knowing who my stakeholder is, because otherwise I'm going to be left with uh, more time on my hands and 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 with the, with the new baby in my life and all these businesses that I'm juggling, time is my most valuable and precious asset that I can protect. And so as that expands, whether we get into roadside, uh, you know, business to, to change the tires on our, our vans, to, uh, you know, delivering for other places outside of Amazon, or, you know, maybe creating a career for our our drivers to expand and, and, and going from delivering Amazon packages to, to driving a semi truck and getting their CDL to uh, ultimately trying to figure out how we disrupt ourselves and come up with innovative ideas and, and trends in the space that, that make us stay on our toes because... Because if if everything changes, and again it goes back to P and and G has a, a quote that says, "We don't care if the world changes and we lose all of our brands and all of our resources. If we keep our people, and and again their system is different than mine. Their their people are from Harvard and Yale and top you know MBA business schools. Not all of them, but traditionally their their brand management track is is from the best of the best and 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 top of their classes and people that have. Have always and continuously been A players, and in my case, it, it doesn't have to look like that. It's what do my people, you know, believe in? Do they trust? Are they willing to work hard? And and if so, are are they willing to solve the right problems? And 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 again, ultimately, back to that, that final principle I said is they have to have fun. And if they have fun, and they believe in what they're doing, and they leverage the principles and method, methodologies and systems that we've created from an intuition perspective over my years of building businesses. Uh, combined with the the science that we've developed uh, from from Wendell's startup DNA with you, then I, I don't care what the opportunity is. I, I can solve anything. And at the same time, I have been strategic on that. And that kind of goes back. And I'll, I'm i sorry, I'm rambling here. I'll let you answer this. But we we intake tons of ideas. And I know, one, we had the opportunity to to do something really cool with a scooter company in town, right? To 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 manage the fleet and 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 do a bunch of things, and it seemed like okay, great, awesome opportunity. Let's go into it. And I vetted all uh, several different people plus yourself, and and you were like, ah, I don't know if that one's for you. And it kind of validated what my gut was. And we walked away from the deal, and good thing we did because COVID hit, and 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 it would have been a much much harder business that was uh you know viable and and easy to maintain. And so again, ultimately, there's a lot going on, but very focused very strategic on what this 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 journey is all about. And and sometimes you don't have to know what it is. You just know that you trust your gut and, and you find your opportunities along the way. And, and at some point, maybe there's a great destination, but worst case, that, that journey is what it's all about uh, along the way.
0: So you mentioned, uh, and this is where it goes off the rails, I'm sure, Startup DNA. So for anyone listening, Startup DNA is an app. Um, It lives inside a technology, platform technology called Wendell. Wendell has an app store um, that is building six due diligence apps, plus some custom surveys that you can score. But the one app that is currently enterprise ready, and it sort of has this, I mean, what would you call it? Infectious nature about it. I mean, um, is the startup DNA. And it's basically, a behavior profiling tool that in less than five minutes can profile uh, every uh, person inside of an organization and has some team building tools that lets you slice and dice different pairs of people together and see how fast they might move, how disruptive they might think, and what will the morale be if you build teams like that. And we've been using that at Kinetic uh, to help us make investment decisions. But shoot, Alex, you and I, can we, we almost can't have a conversation without profiling or, or trying to guess um, what somebody's profile was in Startup DNA. So you already told the crowd early that you were an, you were an accelerator. And I will tell anyone listening that I'm a, I'm a disruptor. But now that we've seen what this app and how important people and team are, let me ask you like kind of a hard question and, and not personal to the people. But if you had a tool like this, would Tixers have been built the same way from a team standpoint? What's
1: funny, is, you know, what's funny is I almost got lucky. And, and to build upon what you're saying, I can't even have a conversation anymore without talking about it. I can't even watch Netflix without talking about it. I'm trying to think
0: no, what with
1: the yeah. yeah, we were literally talking about Yellowstone and who's what character and 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 beyond just you know even startup DNA and that's what I love the most about it. it's so applicable. I mean, obviously everybody listening is probably you know developed or talked about or or subscribed to some version of a behavioral assessment and 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 try to put your mind in that space uh, because those of you that have done that can see the value of what a behavioral assessment can be, whether it's myers Briggs, culture index, you know predictive index or Enneagram, whatever it is. It really does help you strategically better understand things uh, that that you're that you can't see by the naked eye or, or feel within your intuition, but but Wendell Startup DNA ultimately just puts it into a much more uh, applicable place and and allows you to to get to the eighty for the twenty when you're doing these assessments much faster, just like the, the its name says and it's understanding your startup DNA. But to answer your question about would I have built things differently. Uh, I definitely would have been a little bit more strategic on how I thought about my, you know, dev journey and who I use from a dev perspective. But I still think I got that somewhat right and was scrappy with how I did that. I, I ultimately wish I could have had a partner early on that was my CTO uh, that, you know, believed in my vision all the way through. And I kind of masked that through a, a trusted resource in town that that I'm forever grateful of how he positioned himself uh, from a technology standpoint to help guide me through uh, and and that guy and to to put it in Wendell terms was an explorer and and what was funny is he, that that's Nate true to his nature he likes to try a lot of different things and does he does he exactly know who he wants to be maybe maybe not but by having that versatility then I was able to have some flexibility on who I brought under the hood from a um, a technology standpoint and now that I think about it I, I had five to six devs that came through and I can think of who I worked well with and who I didn't. And the ones I probably didn't work as good as I could have on that were probably a profile that I didn't understand. And if I would have had startup DNA, uh, I, I wouldn't or if I would have had it, I, I would have known that differently. So absolutely, I would have built things a little bit different on that front. But from a core team perspective, what's funny is my very first hire was a, you know, a non-technical person that was an, in our, our case called an artisan. And me and you both really uh, know well that... The artisan mindset is completely different than mine. It's a, it's a very linear analytical thinker and, and likes to work through a plan and steps. And, and I'm very circular and, and bounce things off the wall and, and fly by the seat of my pants. And, and that can create some conflict. And I I didn't realize until a later point in time until I kind of gave him a bit more hands-on control because a lot of the artisans, are they want to be hands-on. And when I gave him really hands-on control when we were at the right stage, it was the best part of the business. The business scaled, the business was great. Uh, and he probably wanted to do that sooner. But if he wanted to do that sooner, we might not have been able to, to navigate through some of the ambiguity and raising capital and getting acquired that we could have if we wouldn't have been doing my uh, flexible half-in, half-out methodology of, of how I do things and just continuing to move and move forward without doing things at scale. And now if I look at it, uh, that individual, and his name's Jay Klaus, and he has tons of podcasts just like this. He actually just went through and had his his second successful exit literally this past week. Uh, and it's awesome to see. And he's a solo founder on that uh, that piece. And he's very hands on. And he he found out who he wanted to be. I'll, I'll never forget. He told me at one point when I was trying to help guide him on what he wanted to do next. He said, Alex, I just don't want to be you. And I love that. I was like, that's <laughs> something beautiful with that though. Right. And he goes, I got and to see makes, a lot of.
0: Yeah. Go ahead. That makes knowing him a little bit and knowing you a lot. That's perfect quote.
1: Yeah, it is. and 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 because if he wanted to be me, well, then that would have been... He probably wouldn't have sold his second company. He realized yeah. what he's good at and what he wants to do. And he focused and double-downed on that. And uh, that's what it's all about. And, and what's funny is my other second you know, hire on that company, uh, ironically, just texted me while we're on this podcast. He's got a, a business of his own, a little side hustle that he's doing now. And, and in the, the Wendell Startup DNA speak, is it, he's an operator. And as you know very well, that is my favorite profile. My father is an <laughs> operator. Best man at my wedding was an operator. Several of my other good friends that I've actually done this right. with are operators. You know, lead guy on my team is an operator. You said tank, right? And yeah, he's, he's an operator. I work really, really well with him. And obviously, I worked well with him, but how did I select him? I needed someone I could trust. He came to me and he was my college RA. His name's Anthony Sanders. And, and, What's funny is, is he's still operating. He continues to operate. He's got a thriving, you know, it's actually a cool business. It's a bourbon business called Rustic Barrel Co. that he does on the side. And he operates so much that sometimes he forgets to look back and go, Hey, what am I, what is the enterprise I'm creating here? Is this a side hustle or is this a scalable business? And I continuously try to tell him, Hey, keep operating. You do great at that, but you got to figure out a way to find the right partners or the right resources for you to, to, to create this in a different form. Otherwise, it will forever be a side hustle. And that's fine if that's what you want. But if you want it to be something that is a franchisable business, then there are some steps that you're going to have to take. And you just need to find the resources to help you do that. So long story short, if I could go back, I wouldn't have changed my common core at all. Again, maybe on the dev side towards the later side. And Wendell's startup DNA could have helped me do that. But I kind of, again, like the the journey of my Tixers story, uh, I got a little bit lucky. I was following my intuition and gut. And now that I have the science, watch out. I, I could have probably actually taken down StubHub in some shape or form or at least competed if I would have had that very early on and and, and been through the process previously before as well.
0: It's, it's been fun for me over the past 2020 in particular. All of its challenges aside, we did have an opportunity to work on this project together. And, you know, I'm the inventor of of the of the product, but to watch your skills surpass mine, you know, really has been a joy and it's also kept me interested because um, I'm, I'm trying to keep up, you know, with the business application of this, you know, it's the level you are. So that, that's that been fun, you know, and honestly, I'm just thinking we're riffing out loud here. I think we've, you and I, we should probably do like a team building podcast series and, and talk about, have all our, our silly, um, startup DNA conversations, but, but that's for another thing since we're about out of time, I'm going to ask you one more question. Um, since you've, since you've brought it up. So you're you're a new dad, I think maybe to like a a three week old or, or something like that. And and the only thing I want to know is, are you still, you buying Pampers?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) what's funny is I, my buddies threw me a diaper party in Mansfield, Ohio, my hometown. And literally on the invite, uh, my 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 buddy that organized it said, "Pampers only, Huggies not allowed." You know, <laughs> and, and so I actually had a jersey from my time at Pampers, and I put a post up on Facebook, and a lot of my former colleagues that I stay in touch with that have all since moved on and done really cool things. Uh, some are still there as well. Commented and go, "Oh, that jersey came in handy." We had an event with Marvin Lewis and the and the Bengals when I was there, and everybody got uh, Pampers jerseys with their names on the back. So I had Burkhart number 52 and I busted that out and wore it at my diaper party and, and went all out and we, we competed in games. You know, we did a little golf game, cornhole pickleball. Uh, so yeah, now downstairs in my basement, I've got, uh, a stack of Pampers and, uh, I'm glad I, I'm glad I got Pampers because again, I think they're the, the, the softest, best diaper like they advertise. And, and, uh, but it goes back to my kind of my nature of, I like to stay loyal. I like to, um, you know, every every part of me, whether it's my past or my future or people I come into contact with. I I, I won't, you know, lie. if I gone through this journey having a couple of people that I've ruffled their feathers the wrong way? But um, I, I try to stay true and, and learn from my mistakes and and continue to uh, again stay just uh, stay the course and and continue to do what I can to uh, keep innovating and, and moving forward and and. Pampers, you know, obviously since I still consult there, that was one reason. But uh, I felt like a piece of me was was what I when I was there, a, a piece of me was a part of the diapers that uh that I was that I was uh having people buy, and now that my my daughter wears, and then I I peel off the reward code and download the app that I created and, and get some points. So uh it kind of comes full circle on that front.
0: Well, brother, I tell you what, it was it was I had a good time talking today. I feel like there was some good stories there, and. Uh, Obviously, you and I still have uh, more to write, and I just really appreciate you being
1: on today. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate it. All right, take care. Thank you. Thank
0: you for listening to the Aggregate, hosted by Kinetic Ventures. Kinetic Ventures is an early stage VC that is disrupting venture capital by replacing the pitch with an automated, data-driven approach. What's the benefit? a completely unbiased investment process that allows funders to spend more time building their business. To learn more about Kinetic or apply for funding, please visit us at www.kinetic.ventures.